If you need a Bible, raise your hand, Revelation 21. Revelation 21. Are you there? Getting there? Still some rustling. It's a be- I think that's one of the best sounds on the whole planet right there. The rustling. Can't do that on your app, can you? Maybe a good invention. Revelation 21. Everybody there almost? Rustling, 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 rustling. Are you there? Good? Awesome. Let's pray. We'll ask the Lord to bless our time together this morning. Lord Jesus, we, um, we thank you so much for bringing us together. Bringing us together, Lord, this morning. Bringing us together as a family bringing us out of darkness into your marvelous light, into this amazing relationship. So beautiful, Lord. We're so grateful by your grace and all that you have for us, each one of us this morning. God, I pray that you would touch our hearts that we would experience a fresh work of your Spirit in our lives, in our homes, in your church, that we would be blown away by you this morning, Lord Jesus, that we would fall more in love with you, we'd know you more, and that you would be exalted over all in our lives and in your church. So we thank you for all that you're going to do this morning, and we commit this time to you now. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen, amen. So if we follow the natural progression um, in the book of Revelation, as we hit chapter 21 and 22, um, we're in a new section, really, and it's called, some people call it the eternal state. Again, following the natural progression, chapter 1, you guys remember, John the Apostle received um, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus showed up. John was on the island of Patmos and gave instructions to John on on writing the revelation, uh, receiving the revelation and writing it and communicating it to the church. And so in chapter 2 and chapter 3, which is really a picture of the church age uh, in in totality, um, seven letters are given to the seven churches, and we all all are to have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. But then we see in chapter 4 and 5, we really get a picture of the rapture. The church is in heaven with the Lord. Um, By the way, there's only one group of people that can sing those songs Um, The redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, that would be us, by the way. And so, and that is before or prior to the tribulation, which happens, that seven-year period, which happens in chapter 6 all the way to chapter 19. You remember at the end of chapter 19 or the, the middle of chapter 19, Jesus comes back. It's his second coming. You guys remember that? He comes and sets up his kingdom on earth for a thousand years, literal thousand years, the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. You guys remember that, right? Wednesday night, we're getting getting some of the details in Isaiah filled in concerning that time period. Um, At the end of the millennial uh, kingdom, the millennial reign, is the great white throne judgment where unbelievers will be judged, sentenced to the lake of fire for all eternity. And now we enter into um, the eternal state with the new heavens and the new earth and And what will eternity look like with Jesus? Can you imagine? Well, we get some details this morning. We don't get a comprehensive or an exhaustive uh, uh, idea of what heaven's going to look like or what eternity will look like. 
But we get some amazing, uh, we get some amazing insight this morning and as we move into chapter 22 also. And one of the things that we, we study and we learn is that all of the fallenness, all of the fallenness because of sin will be gone. That's going to be beautiful, isn't it? And what will, come, what will replace it? Newness. Newness. The Lord will be making all things new, and it's by his grace, by the way. It's all because of Jesus. And so let's check it out. Chapter 21, verse 1. Here's what God's word says. This is our future, gang. What does John see? Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. And all the surfers say, bummer. Right? That's bogus, man. No more sea. We'll talk about that in a minute. We'll get to that. So what does John see next? He sees... A new, uh, listen, a brand new heaven and a brand new earth. It's not some renovation of the old, of what we see around us right now, or what we see in the millennial kingdom and learn about what the earth will look like during the millennial kingdom. This is not some extreme makeover. This is something made brand new. In fact, that word brand new means unprecedented or unworn. It means literally or uh, unused of a new kind. How do we know? How do we know that? Because the verse tells us, doesn't it? What happened in the old heaven and the old earth? Passed away. Gone. And so, um, does it say that anywhere else in the scriptures? If you're taking notes, I'm going to read it real quick. The book of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 65 God says in verse 17, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. No remembrance of the former things. God says, I will create. That word, it's interesting, that word create in Hebrew is bara. It means to create something out of nothing. Genesis 1.1. God created the what? The heavens and the earth out of nothing, not pre-existing materials, not some prefab. He spoke and it came into existence. And I want you guys just to think about that for a minute. You and I, brother or sister, child of God, will be standing there when our Father creates something out of nothing. How awesome is that going to be? He's going to speak it, boom, new heaven, new earth, the temporal gives way to the eternal. This is our future home. This is our final destination. This is our eternal abode. The previous heaven and earth will be gone forever. Did Jesus ever speak about that, by the way? Didn't he say something like that? Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Right? In fact, uh, the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians... Chapter 7, if you're taking notes, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 31, right at the end, uh, it says, For the form of this world is passing away. 1 John chapter 2, verse 17, I believe it is. 1 John 2, 17, And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Hebrews chapter 1, if you're taking notes, I'm going to read it real quick. Hebrews chapter 1, the author of Hebrews says, you Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth. He's actually quoting from Psalm 102. You Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They, speaking about the earth and the heavens, will perish, but you remain and they will all grow old like a garment. Like a cloak, you will fold them up and they will be changed. But you are the same and your years will not fail. Did you catch that? The earth and heavens will be rolled up like a garment, gone. In fact, we saw that last week. Look with me real quick. Chapter 20, verse 11. 
Chapter 20, verse 11. What did John see? John saw at the end of the millennial kingdom. He said, I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. Gone. And there was found no place for them. Just like that, the old heaven, the old earth, gone for good. Did y'all see that with me? Yes? We all see that? Okay, cool. You know what that means? I think there's simple application. So this world's going to be what? Going to burn, going to dissolve, going to be gone for good. Can I encourage you this morning to invest in that which is eternal? Well, the question is, what is eternal? Number one, God is eternal. Can I, can I encourage you? Maybe you've made some New Year's resolutions. Can I help you make a few adjustments? Can I encourage you? To invest in the Lord. Your personal relationship with Him. To stay fresh and current with Him, abiding in Him, that He might bring forth fruit from your life that brings glory to the Father. What else is eternal? His Word is eternal. If you're taking notes, Isaiah 40. I'm going to read it. Isaiah 40, verse 8. It tells us in Isaiah 40, Verse 8, Peter, I think, also picked up on this. Um, It says in Isaiah 40, verse 8, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands for how long? Forever. Can I encourage you, precious brother or sister, this morning to invest in that which is eternal. Not only your relationship with the Lord, worshiping Him and serving Him, but also spending time in His Word. His Word has the DNA, the seed has the DNA of the Word to change your life radically and to change the lives of the people around you eternally and make a difference in their lives as well. Are you with me? People are eternal too. The people around us, I mean, you look around the room, we're eternal. Can I encourage you to invest in that which is eternal? To, aren't we called, didn't someone tell us to make disciples? Doesn't that say it somewhere? Jesus said to make disciples, committed followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only to invest in our brothers and sisters, but also those that are lost, that don't know the Lord. That was once us, wasn't it? blind, dead in our trespasses and sins. The Lord rescued us. Let me encourage you. Rescued people, rescue people. He wants to use you and he wants to use me to point them to Jesus, the one who is the rescuer. Can I encourage you to invest in that which is eternal? If what we're seeing is going to burn away, fade away, pass away, perish, then why would you ever build your kingdom in this world? Invest in that which is eternal. Well, pastor, what about that no more sea? I have no clue. No more ocean, no more coastlines. We know there'll be water. In chapter 22, verse 1, we read about the river of life. So there will be some water there. I don't know why. I mean, there's some suggestions. What does water do? Water purifies. Water does what? It, It filters pollution. It... It's dangerous. Also, it separates people from one another, right? Different continents. The world consists of how much? 70% water, almost three quarters of the earth is covered with water. In the millennium, there will be water, there'll be seas, but the eternal state, there's not. And I don't know where to go with that, but okay, that's what God's word says. I'm going to be, listen, heaven's going to blow us away. It's not going to be boring. We're not going to be chubby cherubs sitting on like clouds, strumming harps. Unless they had distortion, then it'd be pretty killer, right? But like, I mean, are we going to know each other in heaven? People say that. Are we we going to know each other in heaven, Pastor? We're not going to be dumber in heaven. (laughs) We will know as we are known, the Bible says. It is going to be incredible and amazing. And so let's read about it. This world is temporary. The new heavens and the new earth that are coming are eternal. And so verse 2, what does John see next? Verse 2 says, Then I, John, saw the holy city, 
New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her. Jerusalem, the dwelling of peace, if you will, descending from heaven, from the new heaven, from God to the new earth. And listen, uh, New Jerusalem, actually, the New Jerusalem is already part of heaven. Did you guys know that? Some people, first service, like, what? Really? Does, does the book say that? The book says that. Galatians 4, I'm going to read it real quick. Galatians 4. I'm not hearing a whole lot of rustling going on. Galatians 4. Galatians 4, verse 26. This contrast is presented by the Apostle Paul, Mount Sinai, and Jerusalem. And it says in verse 26, but the Jerusalem above, that's what we're talking about, the Jerusalem above, the heavenly Jerusalem, is free, which is the mother of us all. Hebrews chapter 11, remember Abraham, we see this hall of of faith, if you will, Hebrews chapter 11, speaking about Abraham, it says that by faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited, check this out, he waited for what? For the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. What is that city? Well, it tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, I'm going I'm to read it. Hebrews chapter 12, the author of Hebrews presenting a contrast here between Mount Sinai once again and Mount Zion. But we didn't come to Mount Sinai, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. And so the new Jerusalem is mentioned previously uh, in the New Testament. The heavenly Jerusalem now comes down. And what does she look like? What does she look like? Check it out. She, how is a bride, adorn, a bride adorned for her wedding day? Is she wearing like sweats and a hair and curlers? <laughs> no, right? She's beautiful. Radiant, the picture of purity, gorgeous, right? For that special day, for her wedding day. And we're going to learn about what the new Jerusalem looks like in verse 9 of this chapter, chapter 21, all the way to verse 5 in chapter 22. The rate we're going, we will not get there this morning. But notice what John hears next, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from where? From heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. For the former things have passed away. How does that eternity sound with Jesus to you? Does that sound pretty good? No? It's amazing, isn't it? So what does John hear next? The vo- a voice from heaven, the volume cranked way up. Check it out. Look, it's God's dwelling place. His literally means his tent, his tabernacle. Doing what? Is among his people. Or in other words, God brings his home down. Down home. That's where maybe where we get it from. Down home right here. Listen, that's been God's heart from the beginning, hasn't it? Has that been God's heart from the beginning? Remember, the, remember what happened in the garden? Adam and Eve, they sinned. That fellowship, that connection broken. And yet God's heart, 
God walked with them in the cool of the day. What did that look like? They were hanging out together in the garden. Sin broke fellowship, right? And then we see God repairing that break in fellowship throughout the entirety of scriptures, ultimately culminating in sending his son to die on a cross to restore us to a right relationship with him. Correct? Is that what happened? Paying the price for our sins in his life's blood to make us right when we put our faith and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. But God's heart, his desire from the beginning all the way to the end is that he would be with us. In fact, he chose the closest possible place to dwell with the new covenant, didn't he? To come into our hearts. Isn't that beautiful to think about? It is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. In the Old Testament, you guys may remember, in Exodus 25, in a number of different places, God's heart was always to be with his people. Exodus 25, um, the Lord said in verse 8, And let them make me a sanctuary, which was, remember, the tent of meeting, the tabernacle? Let them make me a sanctuary, why? That I may dwell among them that I may dwell with my people, that I may hang out with them. Leviticus 26, 12, if you're taking notes, you can check it out later. Deuteronomy 23, verse 14. In the Old Testament, God simply wanted a tent. The special thing is that he was with his people. And one day, so check this out, one day he's going to pitch his tent with us. <laughs> awesome. He will live, we will, God will live, look what it says in verse 3, he will live with his people, reside with us physically, we will be his exclusively. God himself, this is awesome, God himself will be with them and be their God. We will have an access to God that we've never known before. We will have new intimacy with God we've never experienced before, and it's all because of Jesus Christ. And I think how awesome. We never have to be reminded of his presence, because now we do, don't we? It's like we got to be reminded that uh, we have to be aware, have an awareness of his thereness, if you will. Because when we don't, what happens? We get in trouble, don't we? We forget that he's with us. But we will have, check this out, we will have unbroken fellowship, intimacy with him for all eternity. I mean, think about how beautiful that is. Right now, our fellowship gets broken sometimes, doesn't it? What do you mean by that, Pastor? I'm not saying you lose your salvation. I'm not, I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about when we sin and we don't confess, there's a break in our intimacy sometimes, isn't there? That's why it says 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to what? To forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. It happens in a marriage relationship. You guys ever get mad at your spouse? Not in this church, thank you. Uh, hallelujah. I heard another Calvary Chapel down in Baytown or somewhere. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? And that intimacy is broken until what happens? It happens with our kids too, doesn't it? They're naughty or you've been naughty as a parent. And that intimacy is broken until what happens? Please forgive me. I was wrong. Hardest words for us to say, isn't it? To admit our guilt, to admit our sin, to admit we blew, we blew it. But what happens when we do that? Oh, it's okay. Right? It's restored. But the problem's never with the Lord. It's always with us. When that intimacy gets a little messed up, it's always because of us, because we're such hiders, we're concealers, we don't want to bring it out into the light. But when we do, that sweet intimacy is restored once again. But how about this, gang, in eternity, what? We'll have unbroken fellowship. There'll be no need to confess our sins, because sins are all gone, <laughs> washed away. Sin and its consequences, all gone forever, undisrupted fellowship and intimacy with the Lord. Verse 4, this is so amazing. Let that just wash over you. Can you just, just imagine that? The finger of God touching your cheek and wiping away your tears. Every tear. 
God doing that? The same hand that wrote the, on the ten uh, tablets for Moses, the hand that did the writing on the wall. Remember Belshazzar freaked out in sin? His hand coming and touching your face, wiping away your tears. No longer will there be anyone die. Look what it says. No, no sorrow, no deep hurt, no grief, no sadness within, no regrets, no shame, no crying, no more weeping. There shall be, did you catch that? There shall be no more pain. Thank, wow, thank you. <laughs> Zero pain, no more hurt physically, no more hurt. For some of us, we're like, wow, how, I can't wait. I wake up every morning, snap, crackle, pop into your morning. <laughs> like, <laughs> what happened to me? Hit 50 and it's like, man, the trajectory. <laughs> the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. No more pain physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. Zero pain. Look what it says. Why? For the former things have passed away. All the bad stuff, all the painful stuff, all the hurtful stuff, will be. all the previous stuff will be gone. All of those things introduced into the human condition because of sin will be gone forever. A world without sin, without pain, without heartbreak. I mean, can you imagine? But listen, if you can't imagine, just think about this. How much of our lives are characterized by pain? Hurt, disappointment, heartbreak. The earth will pass away and all the hard things in life, the difficult things, the hurtful things will pass right away with it and and God will be personally involved in healing your hurts. Wow. Things that hurt us, people that hurt us, that we've chosen to forgive, right? Things that hurt us, we've chosen to rejoice in. Our lives, listen, our lives will be radically changed by the absence of these things. All I can say is thank you, Jesus, for that. Have you ever, wiping away tears, have you ever seen someone wipe away someone else's tears? It is so tender. It is so special to consider. And apparently there's going to be some tears. And I think, this is my own personal opinion, you can take it or leave it. But I think there will be tears of joy in heaven. When we are blown away by his goodness. I have tears of joy even now. When I read my Bible... And it can even be with the conviction of sin. And it's the Lord's goodness that leads us to repentance. It's like, oh God, I'm so sorry. Thank you for your goodness, for your forgiveness. You, Jesus, you paid for that. Will you help me with this issue? Will you help me with this area? I'm struggling. God, purify my heart. Verse 5, then what happens? Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. So the Lord speaks to John, right? He's the one sitting on the throne. And what, what does he say? He says, behold, check it out. Literally in the Greek, for you Greek scholars, students of the Bible, it's, it's the continual tense. I will be making all things new. I, I will continually be making things new. That's amazing. Our God is so creative, is he not? Look around the room. Look at all the shades of melanin and... Noses and lips and, I mean, look at uh, this gang right here. Don't we like new things? Right? You got your new shoes Christmas? 
And now you got a scuff in them. They're, they're, now they're old. Now they're... That's the problem. New things don't stay new. But in eternity with our Lord Jesus, what's going to be happening? Every, it's going to be new, continually, beautiful. The Lord makes everything new. He proclaims it. He does it. He alone can make everything new. Does it say that anywhere else? Well, I think it does. Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, 7. It, it's almost like, you guys know when Paul like, says something, it's like a run-on sentence? You guys know, you, right? He does like these, ver, the ver, it'll be like four or five verses long, and Paul's just going, adding an and, an and, an and, and, and English teachers, what? <laughs> What's the matter with this? He get an F, Right? But he kind of, he throws in these amazing little, like, nuggets as he's writing the sentences, right? And this nugget flies in, and he says, he reminds us, he reminds us, in the ages to come, literally, age upon age, in eternity, in the ages to come, what's God going to do? Is it up on the scoreboard? That he might show demonstrate the exceeding riches of his grace, which are what? In Christ Jesus towards us, in his kindness, in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You know what that means? For all eternity, what's God going to be doing? Showing new facets of his grace to you and to me. How cool is that going to be? <laughs> Something new by his grace. We don't deserve it. We didn't work for it. We didn't earn it. But because you are his prize, you're valuable to him. You're his possession. He's purchased you with his precious blood. You're his child. Can you imagine? Don't, don't, fathers, don't you get excited when you get to give your child something on Christmas and you know it's something they asked for? They don't know. You got it, though. And you're like, you just can't wait till they, whoosh, they just rip through it. And it's like, oh, yeah. It's exciting, isn't it? Can you imagine our father? But showing us, boom, this, this. Over and over, for all eternity, your greatest day you ever had, over and over and over and over, blowing our minds. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. Us new creations will be there in that new heaven and new earth, gloriously. And then the Lord says, look at, he speaks directly to John, and what does he say? He gives him, it's funny, he gives him a command, write this down, write. Why did he have to say that to John, write? Hasn't he been writing all along? He's trying, he's trying to do the best he can to communicate what he's seeing and hearing, and the Lord has to say, write this down, come on, write. You know why? I think he's blown away. Whoa. Are you still blown away by God's grace? I, I've been walking with Jesus almost three decades, and I am so blown away by him. The Apostle John, it's interesting, after decades of walking with Jesus, he was still blown away. He said, behold, what manner of love that we might be called the children of God. And that is what we are. I, he's saying, I can't believe I'm a child of God. Wow, thank you, Lord. So amazing. Like, it's, it's hard for me even to think about my past life, like where I came from. Like, Lord, thank you. Keep erasing stuff. Hit the delete. I know I'm not what I should be, but praise God, I'm not what I used to be. And I can't wait to see what I'm going to be when I'm with you, Jesus. So good. He says, write this down. John's in awe, needs to be reminded. What I'm communicating is without error and trustworthy. Listen, God's word is genuine, dependable, trustworthy, error-free, no mistakes, relevant forever and ever, doesn't go out of style, doesn't go out of fashion, doesn't become uncool, it's always cool. Listen, holiness is always cool, by the way. Holiness is Christ-likeness. 
His word is dependable. His word, I love how it's communicated in the Old Testament. His word is his voice. His word being his voice. Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. This is from God's heart to your heart, to my heart this morning. He's like, John, write this down. Don't miss this. These are not just words on a page. This is our portion. This is our future. It's not too good to be true. It's true. It's dependable. God is faithful. And he said to me, look what he says, verse 6. How are we doing? On, oh, we're doing great. We could always just bring the chili in. Just. <laughs> and he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely. To him who thirsts, he who overcomes shall inherit, how many things? How much does all mean? All things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, wow, the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, Sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Oh, I was so happy for so long, Pastor. I was with you. We were in heaven. Listen, you can't have heaven without hell. Some people are like, oh, yeah, heaven's great. Everybody's going there. We're all going to sing kumbaya and hold hands. No, everybody's not going there. Unless you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus says, it is finished. Not the first time he said that, is it? It is done. It is done. Everything's wrapped up. I am the Alpha and the Omega. What's that all about? The Alpha, the Omega, what's he talking about? Alpha and Omega are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. And I think perhaps the idea is the Lord is saying that he is life's from A to Z. You know what I'm saying? In other words, he is everything we will ever need. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We are com- Colossians 2, we are complete in him. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He initiates life. He creates life. He breathes into us life. He brings our lives to a close. He gives us our first breath, and he's there with us at our last breath. And guess what? He upholds every one of our breaths in between. (laughs) Hebrews 1, he upholds all things by the word of his power. Listen, all things are made by him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. He is the Alpha and the Omega. It certainly speaks of his sovereignty. He's the beginning and the end. He's the author and finisher of our faith, is he not? He was there at the starting line. He's going to be there at the finish line. And guess what? He's there. Er Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's there every, every part of the race as well. When you stumble and fall, he helps you get back up. He's right there with you, right? Your uni gets a little tight. He helps you drop it down. I don't know if, that, I don't know if that's true. Just making sure you're still with me. He's there every step of the way, every. He's a creator and sustainer. And guess what? He's begun a good work in you. And he will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. He's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. His word will have the final say in our lives. He says, and then this is so interesting. He says, I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. The Lord offers a drink to anyone who is thirsty from this special fountain flowing with what? With a supply of eternal water. By the way, that word freely means undeservedly or at no cost. Anyone who recognizes their thirst, admits their need for this water, what does Jesus say? Here you go. 
Hasn't that happened before? Have we seen that previously anywhere else in our Bible studies? Where at? Mm, Sounded right. Where's it at? John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Jesus goes out of his way to do what? To connect with this Samaritan woman. Where was she at? At the well, right? And Jesus said to her, drink of this water and you will thirst again. And you can put that over anything. Drink of this water. Power, money, sex, drugs, rock and roll, all of that. You will thirst again if that's what you're living for. In fact, we're going to look at that in just a minute in verse 8. What you try to satisfy that that thirst in your heart and your life with, those things will leave you empty. But when you come to Jesus, what did he say? I'll give you water that will flow right out of you into eternal life. But remember what he said next to her? Go call your, hey, I want that water. (laughs) That sounds good. Go call your husband. Tell him to cruise over here. (coughs) I have no husband. Right? Right? And Jesus said, what? Surely, you're, you're absolutely right. The guy you're with right now, you're shacking up with, is not your husband. And the five dudes you've been with aren't your husband either. She, you see, she was trying to, and so tenderly, Jesus was saying to her, here, listen, here's the heart issue. I'm, he's putting his finger so tenderly on her issue. She's trying to fill the emptiness, trying to satisfy and quench her thirst with what? With men with relationships, with sexual immorality. And Jesus is offering her what? True satisfaction, real life. But before he can give her the living water, the issue of sin has to be dealt with. We all have to recognize our need that we have sinned against a holy God, that we are in need of his forgiveness. And that's what God provided. Jesus came to save sinners. He gave his life for you and for me to bring us into a right relationship with God and to satisfy the thirst in our hearts. The reason we've been created, all things are created by him and for him. We're created for him, for a relationship with him. And it's so interesting to me that why does he throw it in here, right? Boom, he puts it right here. Isn't that interesting? Anybody else find that besides me? Maybe not. Throughout the revelation, God is reaching out to rescue, to save. Even here, speaking about the eternal state, he's still reaching out. If anyone is listening, if anyone is reading, if anyone is hearing this, the invitation is still there. Come to me, Jesus said. It's all about coming to him. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, he offers forgiveness to anyone and will satisfy you. And so... Salvation is available. You receive what the Lord offers. That's grace. God gives us what we can't give ourselves, what we can't get ourselves. We receive his perfect forgiveness, satisfaction. He makes your life new and fresh, and the past is now behind us. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk no longer according to the flesh, but walk according to the Spirit. Amen. Let's finish it up here. Verse 7. He who overcomes, a promise to the overcomer. Remember that? Revelation 2 and 3. Those who overcome those deficiencies that Jesus mentioned. That person will receive shall inherit, not earn, not work for, you will receive what? All things. If you get an an inheritance, do you earn it? Do you work for it? Nope. And I think how sad we hold on to the things of this life, temporary things, material things. We live for the things of this earth when God has promised us how many things? If I let go of this, then I wouldn't. It's so interesting, isn't it? Like, doesn't the Lord give you something better? (laughs) Like, you get so blown away with his goodness. God's not going to jip you, man. Romans 8, check this out. What What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall not, how shall he not with him, a father and son, also freely give us 
all things. You guys catch that? Do you guys catch that or no? Is it up on the scoreboard? Thank you. Because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, he's going to give us freely all things. Wow. By his grace. And he promises a special intimate relationship. I will be his God and he shall be my son. And I think what an encouragement that is right there. You know, for us in the United States, as Christians, it's pretty mellow. Let's face it. Some per- we get some persecution. Someone makes fun of us, right? Sometimes we lose a job. I'm not making light of that. But it's nothing like what our brothers and sisters are facing around the world right now. The pastors we're going to visit in Cuba, man, they're barely, they're barely scraping by to eat, to survive, the missionaries that we support, the missions we do to different places around the world, their lives are on the line every single day. They don't even know if they're going to be home or not, or their family will be there when they get home or not. And I think what, what an amazing encouragement right here for the suffering saints throughout history, even today. All believers that have been that are hurting, hassled, harassed, going through difficulty, going through tribulation with a small t, which Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation, you will have difficulty, you will have pressure, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome this world. But this is our hope. This is our future, gang. Are you with me? This is reserved for you right now. Your reservation has been changed because you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But look at the next verse as we finish. Those who will have no place in the new heavens and the new earth, those who sadly will not take part of anything that we've been reading. The cowardly, isn't that interesting? The cowardly. Those who live in fear, driven by fear and dread, the fearful. Those who choose self and safety over choosing Jesus. Unbelieving, the faithless, the unfaithful, they don't or won't believe they refuse to exercise faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Abominable. That, the root Greek of that word is to stink. So it would, it would, be, it would be that which is offensive to God. Behavior um, that is offensive to God. Murderers that needs no interpretation. Sexually immoral. That, that is, so sexual immorality, I, I got to define it because definitions are being changed in the church today. You guys know this all around us. Sexual immorality is sexual intimacy, sexual relations outside of the marriage bed as prescribed by God in his word between a genetic male husband and a genetic female wife. Are you with me? (laughs) Any sexual intimacy outside of that marriage relationship is is sexual immorality, fornication. Sorcerers. Speaks of witchcraft, occultic practice. Listen, it also includes the use and selling of drugs and narcotics. Those who give their those who give their lives to get high. Escape reality. Those who give their lives to drugs or some other artificial substance, um, not being sober is the idea. Idolaters, that's the worship of anything or anyone other than the Lord himself. That's they worship and serve the creation or created things rather than the creator. And all liars, those who don't tell the truth, dishonesty is their practice, deception, deceivers. By the way, this is not a comprehensive or an exhaustive list either um, of the practices that will keep someone from inheriting the kingdom of God. In fact, it's interesting because the apostle Paul on at least three other occasions that I know of, that I can remember, spoke about those who practice such things. Don't be deceived, he says. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Galatians 5, 19 through 21. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. And Ephesians 5, 5. Three other places in the scriptures where God makes it super clear. If that's what you're practicing unrepentant habitually, um, if you don't receive the living water that Jesus offers, then 
you will have your place where in the eternal lake of fire, which is the second death. You die once physically, and then you die a second time being cut off from, from life itself, from the giver, the source of life, the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, it's interesting because you read, these, you read these descriptions, these words, and these people, some of you know, we came out of this background. In fact, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, and such were some of you. That was once your practice. That's once how you lived your life. But you've been washed. You've been sanctified. You've been, you've been cleansed by the Lord Jesus Christ. You're a new creation. Like Jesus said to the woman caught in adultery, has no one condemned you? No one, Lord. I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. Stop practicing. But people that are practicing this are trying to find satisfaction in these things. They're trying to find peace, love, joy. Those things are not found in these sinful behaviors. Are you guys with me this morning? Peace, love, joy is, a fr is fruit of having a real vital, living relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus said, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and so forth. That's where real love is found. That's where peace is found. That's where joy is found. Not in these things, sexual immorality and so forth, sorcery. Satisfaction is found in Jesus. And I just want to encourage us this morning... Um, this is grace. Verse 8 is grace, too. What we have ahead of us as the children of God is all by His grace. But this is, verse 8 is grace also. God doesn't force Himself on anyone. He doesn't force Himself. That's grace. He offers forgiveness and eternal life, and you come just as you are to Him. But he's not going to force you. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Not, I'm going to knock the door down. You hear my voice and open up, I'll come in. We'll get, we'll get this thing going, <laughs> this relationship, where, you'll, where you, you'll really experience love, where you really experience joy, where you will really experience peace. Not in this stuff. This stuff... This stuff will, sin will destroy you and destroy others. God sent his son to rescue us from sin. And maybe you're here this morning. He wants to rescue you too. That you might put, be put on the right trajectory, <laughs> heading to heaven, heading to eternity with our Jesus. Those trusting in Jesus need not fear death. Our last breath here being our first breath with him. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, and the best is yet to come for us. Amen. In Jesus' name, Lord.